You ready for some word today? Yes. Good, good, good. Let's get after it. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and, and open with me to the book of Colossians. All right, Colossians chapter 2. And we'll read that in a few minutes. Colossians chapter 2. I started a new series a few weeks ago called Getting Over It. And if you have any it's in your life that are holding you under, I am giving you the good word of God that will give you power to get over it. You don't have to be crushed. You don't have to be held back or held down or subjected to various types of bondage. The power of God and the word of God are available to get you over the top. Amen. And so I want to start with the verses that we've been reading the last couple of weeks, and we'll, we want to look at these together out loud, and uh, read them out loud. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. Would you say it with me out loud? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Is that true? Yeah. Come on. That, that's different than gloom and despair and agony on me, right? Life is hard and it's difficult. No, no, no. Thanks be unto God. Come on, it just makes your head go up. Yeah. It puts a smile on your face. Because He gives us, what does He give us? The victory. The victory. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. That, make that personal. He gives us, gives me the victory. It's a gift of God. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, say it out loud with me. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Amen. Say, say what's that fragrance? What does that smell like? It, well, it's, it's the fragrance of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of victory. Amen. Yeah? You, 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 you smell. <laughs> what is that coming off of you? It's victory. Come on. It is, it is triumph is what we smell like. We don't smell like defeat. Amen? <laughs> yeah. We don't smell like defeat or defeat. We smell like the victory. All right. <laughs> smell like triumph. But that's the, that's the aroma of God when the knowledge of this victory, when the knowledge of God is uh, in our hearts, when it's experienced by us, then that's the fragrance that we carry. It's that of triumph. Praise God. See yourself as victorious. See yourself as a triumphing one. You know, uh, believing in the power of God to bring freedom is different than putting your trust in methods of human origin. See, I want to teach and proclaim this in such a way where it is clear that we are intersecting God's power to put us over, not just human wisdom. All right. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter eight, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, make you what, what will what will set us or make us free? Truth will. Truth will. And that's the that's the primary methodology to our overcoming. It is finding, discovering, um, seeing truth and embracing it. When truth is known inwardly, it produces freedom outwardly. And if we don't embrace that method, then we're seeking for some outside force to come in and take away the bad things, 
take away the problems. But we, there's a power source inside of us. It's called, biblically speaking, it's called the heart. This is not talking about your physical pump, right? It's talking about the very core of who you are, the very center of your, of your being. When that is in the right place, you experience freedom outwardly, all right? And so, again, methods of human origin have an appearance of wisdom, but they don't bring the power of God into the equation. I'm not just seeking to bring good psychology to you today, all right? I am seeking something more powerful than that. Let me say it another way. If I were talking about finances, I'm not just going to deal with your budget. Deal with your balance sheet. Someone said, I have financial problems. Okay, I understand. Uh, we might address your, you, you know, your credit cards. Stop using them. That kind of thing. We might address, you know, you make this much and spend this much because that's the math. But I'm not going to limit it to that. And the reason is, is because I know more than that. I don't mean it contradicts that, but I mean there is something else. In other words, any human being can do that. You have a connection with God. You have access to the, to the riches of His glory. You have access to the provision of God. So I'm not only going to talk to you about how you spend your money, I'm going to talk to you about faith. Faith for finances. Faith in God to provide. I'm going to talk to you about giving and receiving. Someone said, well, someone's in debt. They don't need to hear about giving. They 100% need to hear about giving. Their belief that they don't need to hear about that shows that their reliance is on human methods and human wisdom. We have access to more. Okay. Someone said, well, money's not my problem. It's, you know, cigarettes. Money's not my problem. It's some other kind of, you know, bondage or, or, or something like that. It's the same principle. I want to tap into not just good practice. I, I want to tap into power that is beyond human. And that's what we can do. That's what we ought to do. Did you find Colossians? Uh, this is a scripture that says this in a way. Colossians 2 and verse 20. It reads, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Okay, this outward stuff. Compliance with all the rules. He said, goes on to say, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. So stop touching that, stop eating that. It's all these outside rules, regulations. He said, which all... Con uh, Concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, so your flesh is still with you still wanting to indulge, still ruling, still dominating. And he's saying these, this old way, and he's really referencing the Old Testament laws of, of, of controls placed on you from the outside. He said those things won't do the job. In the New Covenant, 
uh, it's not external, but internal. See, new covenant is anything after Jesus was raised from the dead. Now God deals with us inwardly so that we experience outward victory. But it's, victory is experienced inwardly first. Okay? And so it's not about follow the rules. Come on, do this. Don't touch this. Get out of that. It is about experiencing life and victory inwardly. Amen. Now, someone says, I don't even know what that means. I'll explain these things the best that I can. There is something about spiritual matters that are difficult to form into words completely. They have to be experienced. All right. How do you like your food? Tell me what it tastes like. What do you mean? Well, it tastes like, and we, you know, sometimes it's hard to explain those kind of things. You know, tell me how to speak in tongues. Well, you, well, it's way easier to do than it is to talk about. Tell me how to swallow. Explain the swallowing process. Could you tell me how to do that? Well, I don't know that I can tell you how. Just, just do it. There are things of God that are entered into by faith. You accept the principle. You step into it by faith and experience His power. When you're done experiencing his power, it's like, whoa, that was easy. That's natural. I get it. Tell me how to do it. Well, <laughs> you realize sometimes there's a lack of words. Paul went to heaven and came back and said, I heard things can't talk about. I heard things there's not human language to say. Okay. I didn't plan to say that, but now I've just set myself up where I don't have to explain anything. You just... <laughs> Let me keep, did I read the rest of this? I did. No indulgence against, the, against the, the flesh. In other words, again, the Lord changes us inwardly. It's a heart change, and, and this is, produces freedom. Our victory is a byproduct of the inward change. And that's really how God wants to do it, that we overcome from the inside out. We connect with the power of the Holy Spirit that's made available through the resurrection of Christ and this is why the condition of our hearts is vital to us getting over it. Whatever that it is, it's not I need someone to pick me up and put me over it. I need to inwardly have the right heart condition where I walk away from it. It has no power over me. That addiction, that lust, that whatever the, the, the problem is, it has no control in my life. Proverbs 4.23 reads this way. It says, uh, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Out of, where come the issues of life? Out of the heart. Okay, New Living reads this way. Uh, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The inside determines which direction I'm going to go. Uh, the Hebrew word that's translated their issues or course is uh, it also could be translated boundaries. Guard your heart, for out of it are the boundaries of your life. Why are some people limited in their experience, in their, their experience of, of overcoming and victory? It's because their heart is too small. Right? What do you mean? It's the way that they think. It, it, the condition of their heart is restricting their experience. If I can get changed inwardly, then my experience outwardly will be 
positively impacted. In other words, sometimes people have a limited experience in life and it's due to how they were brought up. It's due to things that have happened to them, some experiences or how they responded to circumstances around them and it kind of shut them down on the inside. I need to have the word of God and the power of God to open me back up. When I say that, of course I'm talking, now I believe. Now I can see it. Now I believe that I can experience it. Now I believe that this thing has no power over me. Hallelujah. And, and so, uh, one of the conditions that we were teaching last week, it, it, it is about refusing to fear. Because when someone has a fearful heart, they are subject to bondage of all kinds. Fear of death produces bondage. It's like the person who is afraid of being unfulfilled in any particular area, okay? Afraid of being without something. If I don't have fill in the blank, then my life is not gonna, I'm not gonna be happy. I'm not gonna be fulfilled. I'm afraid of my life without that thing. And it may be a substance that brings you joy. It may be doing something um, it, it may be, if I don't have this particular pleasure, then I am not going to be a happy person. So I'm afraid of my life without that. If I quit that, if I stop doing it, if that goes away, I'm afraid that I'm just going to be miserable. All right. But it's the fear that empowers it. Remember, Jesus came, Hebrews chapter 2. It, one of the things he came to do is, in verse 15, to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus came to bring release from what? Not just the bondage, from the fear that empowers the bondage. When someone is afraid, they're afraid of something negative or some part of their life being dead, it, it, it empowers that thing to control them or to keep them in bondage. All right? So, so notice, notice in that, that very passage, it wasn't, that people were in bondage because of what someone else did to them. Well, someone did this to me, and that's why I suffer so. That's why I can't get over it. They hurt me, and I can't get over it because what they did to me. That's not why that verse said they were in bondage. Or I'm in bondage because it's in my DNA. I was born with this condition. I was born with this problem. I was born in this, in this manner, and I can't help myself because that's just who I am, I was born that way, okay? No, no, it's through fear that bondage comes. I have to embrace that reality before I'll ever step, take a step into freedom. If I think it's something I can't, I can't do anything about, it was imposed upon me and therefore I'm helpless, well then I am, okay? But the moment I say, no, I can believe different. I can be released from the fear of this thing and then walk walk out of it. All right, turn with me, if you would, to another place. First uh, John chapter 4. Now, First John, if you're, again, if you're new to the Bible, that's way at the end. First John, the fourth chapter. If I could explain it another way. Uh, let's say a person is afraid of being broke. So having lack, not enough money to live or do what they want to do, afraid of that. What will that likely produce inwardly? That fear of lack 
will likely cause them to be stingy, to hold on to things instead of turn loose. They won't have a generous heart. They'll have a stingy heart. What happens to the person with the stingy heart? They are also, now this is biblical kingdom principles, they are also repelling prosperity. So fear ends up in making, fear will cause you to be poor. Whereas if I get the inward fixed and I'm no longer afraid of being without, then why wouldn't I give to you? Why wouldn't I be generous? Why wouldn't I uh, give away instead of hoard? Right? And if I have a generous heart, you know what the scriptures say, the generous soul will be made rich. Right? So that's why I, I got to co correct that inward. That corrects my action by default. It's a, it's a byproduct of the, the right heart. That brings the blessing of God and his flow towards my life. First John chapter 4 and verse 17. And we, we, I, I'm just really continuing the same principle I taught last week because it wasn't finished. First uh, John chapter 4 verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. All right. That verse is a mind-blowing verse. Most Christians don't even believe it. Now, you might believe it. Oh, yeah, it's in the Bible. I believe it. Do you see what it just said? First of all, let's, let's examine Judgment Day. How many looking forward to Judgment Day? Okay. Now, many of you are, but there, it wasn't like 90% hands. It was like 5% hands. Because naturally speaking, you think Judgment Day. <laughs> Yikes. It's like test day, you know, it's like, I'm going to stand before almighty God. My life's going to be laid open. I'm not looking forward to that. Why would I look forward to that? Well, this verse says you would have boldness on that day. Why would you have boldness is fearlessness. Boldness means I'm walking up to my, my name is called and I'm walking up to the judge, the righteous judge of all the earth. And I'm smiling my shoulders back. Bring it. And I have zero fear. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of being punished. I'm not afraid of being embarrassed or shamed in any way. I'm standing before God. This is my judgment day. Yes. Yes. Yes, I can't wait for this day. Boldness in the day of judgment. How could you have that? It's right in the verse. It's love. It's love. He said... Uh, he said, love has been perfected among us in this. When, when love is perfected in us, it produces boldness, which is an absence of fear. I just need to know how much he loves me. Look at the rest of that verse. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Who's he? He is Jay, right? <laughs> Jesus. That's the part I'm saying most people don't even believe it. As he is, as Jesus is, present tense right now, so are we not going to be, not in heaven, but are, we are right here, right now in this world. See why that's hard for the average Christian, especially the religiously taught Christian, to embrace? We think, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing like Jesus. I hope to be someday or in heaven I'll be, but not now. The scripture says you're like him now if you're saved. 
When you got born again, his righteousness was attributed to you. And that's why you can stand before God without fear of, of punishment and fear of judgment. You stand before God just like Jesus, loved, accepted. Amen. This experiencing and knowing the love of God is so profound and so big. It literally alters our life by itself. Verse 18 goes on to say, there is no fear in love. How much fear in love? None. But perfect love, what does it do? Casts out fear. It, 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 it could say it displaces it. It pushes it out. Because fear involves torments, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So if I want to get rid of the fear, which is enabling bondage to exist and me to live under it, how do I get rid of the bondage? I should displace it with the love of God. If I could be so fulfilled, so filled with love, in other words, perfected in love, then bondage will have no place in my life. I'll easily break bad habits, easily walk away from demonic influences, easily overcome things that have been there for 20 years, easily walk away. I am loved by God. I'm afraid of nothing. Amen. Hallelujah. And so love and fear then do not coexist. They don't exist at the same time. Well, I know God loves me, but I'm still afraid. I don't believe it. And I think you should never say that again. So I think this is talking about us loving other people. It's actually not. This verse is speaking about God's love for us, not our love for others. Okay, We should love others. I want to be perfected in my love towards you and others. But that's not what it's talking about. Say, how, how do you know that? How do you know that's not what it's talking about? Because when you weren't looking, I read verse 16. <laughs> Did you anybody do that when I wasn't looking? Verse 16 says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So the key to my victory is to know God's love for me. When that is in me to the full and I am conscious, I'm aware of it, I believe it, I accept it. I'm not having to say, fear, get away from me. Fear, you, I won't be afraid. It is automatically displaced. So what should our faith be in then? What should I believe? There are a lot of good things to believe, a lot of true things to believe. One vital belief that, that enables us to live a victorious life is faith in God's love. Faith in God's love for me. Your faith in God's love for you. you. Say, well, if he loves me, why don't he just come and fix this thing in my life? Okay, now hold on. That'd be almost like someone saying, I know I haven't accepted Jesus as my Savior, but why don't God just come down here and save me? In other words, watch. God provided a method but someone wants a different method. If, someone, if you're a Christian, 
and someone came to you, friend, relative, neighbor, came to you and said, I want to go to heaven. I, want, I even believe in God. I want a relationship with God. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'm thinking most of you would pull out John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and what? No one comes to the Father but by me. And you would tell them, I hear what you're saying. You want an alternate route to God, but that's not up to you. He doesn't give you the right to make your own plan of salvation. He went to great lengths to send his son who suffered and died so you could have life. You don't get in the back door. You go through Jesus and only Jesus. And if you say, I want saved another way, tough luck. Right? Okay, we, so we, we know that about salvation, about heaven, about eternal life. You know, we, all, we also do this concerning other things. We say, I, why don't the Lord just, just take care of this? Why don't he just fix this? Why don't he just fill my bank account up? Or why don't he just break this thing off of my life? Maybe he already did. Maybe our victory was, has already 100% been provided through, remember that guy? Jesus. His death his suffering, his resurrection, his victory over death, maybe that pertains to all aspects of our lives and we're trying to get our victory another way. And there is no other way. And God doesn't make alternate routes to get us free. He already did it in Jesus. So when we're saying, why doesn't he do this? How about we shut down our pride <laughs> and say, Lord, is there something I'm missing here? Is my, is my victory, is my freedom, is that something you already gave me and I'm just not seeing it? Am I approaching this wrong? Hallelujah. And so what are we supposed to believe? That God loves us. All right. Now let me say this in another, in a little, uh, in another way. That's a little more to the point. <laughs> to question God's love is most insulting. He sent his son to suffer and die for us. This act alone should settle with finality all questions of his love. Who is he? Who, who is the one who condemns? Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, it is Christ who died for us. He's not our problem. He's not putting us under. He's not holding us down. He gave his life to give us victory. So to question God's love, mm. I don't want to do that. Not with how much he gave me. I have no right to say, if you love me, if you cared, if you even cared at all, you would help me in this situation. See anything wrong with that? Let me have you turn real quick to Mark chapter four. You got a couple more minutes? I know you know it's safe because we have another service and you know I can't go on forever. <laughs> There's no fear in love. <laughs> you know I love you enough to not let you stay in church all day long. <laughs> in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it reads, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, 
let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, sleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many think that's something we probably shouldn't say to the Lord? <laughs> Don't you care? You're talking to Jesus. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Put this in, in real life scenario. If you can, it's just words, but can you imagine? Say, they're freaking. They wake Jesus up, accuse him of not caring. So Jesus gets up, looks at the storm, and he rebukes the storm in essence. Peace! Be still! Why are you so afraid? Don't you see it more likely playing out like that? Not, peace, be still. Yeah, you guys are so fearful. <laughs> you should really be more trusting. I think their accusation is harsh. And he rebuked the storm, and then he rebuked the disciples. Why did he rebuke them? Because of their fear. When we know the love of God we shouldn't allow ourselves to go there. We shouldn't permit it. He has given his everything. I mean, seriously, you can go to question, Jesus, don't you care about us, Jesus? This is Jesus, God made manifest in the flesh. God who gave up all his rights and privileges and became a man to live in this stinky, corrupt world to save these turkeys from death. Jesus, this guy, you question whether he cares? I think he's demonstrated his love just by being present. Let alone us on the other side of the cross and we see all his suffering and death and all that he did. If you ever find yourself going there, arrest yourself and say, don't you? No, I'm not going to say. Thank you, Lord. You do care for me. You do love me. Jesus, you gave your life. And if you gave your own, if God gave his own son, how much more will he not freely give us everything we need? That's the right perspective. Lord, you love me. I will never accuse you of not. Praise God. So their, their lack of faith was expressed by accusing Jesus of not caring. And, uh, and we should never entertain that thought. But you can see how fear and faith, they don't coexist. He said, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? But apparently they didn't know how much he loved them. They didn't know how much God loved them. Our ability to conquer, to overcome. You know, Romans 8 says, just for time's sake, Romans 8 says, tells us um, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us. Our ability to overcome, our ability to conquer, to be victorious in life, 
is tied to our knowledge of his love for us. If I know how much he loves me. Are you afraid you'll always be addicted? Afraid your spouse will leave? Afraid your kids will go to jail? Afraid you'll lose your sight? Afraid of some other condition? It's the fear that must be resisted. And it will be displaced with the love of God. Amen. So how do I, and here's why. If I translate, and I do this, if I translate God's love for me to provision, protection, deliverance, strength, because that's what I would do for anyone. If I could do that for anyone that I loved, I'm doing it. If I could help them, set them free, strength, if I could provide for them or keep harm away, if I love them, I'm doing it. Is everybody with me? So when I hear the love of God, it goes through Jesus, what he already did for me. But this is the heart behind that. He is for me and not against me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? So I translate it that way. Listen to this and I'll finish here. Psalm 23 and verse 6 from the Passion Translation. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Why would I fear the future when I've got your love? Someone said the devil's after me. Well, (laughs) not me. I've got goodness and love pursuing me. (laughs) And it's the love, love of God coming after me. Come on, you've been running away from God. You've been... Uh, you've been resisting his, his tug on your heart, on his life. You know what's after you. Say, so something's after me. I know it's good, too. It's the love of God trying to reach you, trying to draw you back into a place where you can walk with him and know him and experience his best. I tell you, the way this works is, is if the devil doesn't have anything in us, he cannot enforce anything upon us. If we focus on getting this thing off of us instead of getting victory inside of us, we're approaching it backwards. But inwardly, I have faith in his love. Come on, inwardly, I accept and believe that he loves me and that he gave me his very best. Therefore, the enemy and bondage of all types loses its grip. That bondage of stinginess that bond, bondage of addiction, that bondage of guilt for, for, uh, for things done wrong. Yeah, you blew it. Yeah, you made some horrible decisions. And the Lord wants you free from that too. So I understand he'll, I, I, the Lord wants me free from these other things, but this one's my fault. Listen, most of our problems are our own fault. <laughs> and Jesus came for that very reason. So we wouldn't have to suffer for our, the, the repercussions of our own sins. He really loves us that much. Amen.